These are my favorite movies of 2021. This is Scott Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. movie friends welcome to scott's off indulgent movie podcast i am scott and as the title and intro indicates these are this is my best of list for 2021 on my 10 favorites i've got a lot of honorable mentions that i'll include and as i'll get into in my intro there's plenty of movies i haven't seen yet so if you think there's something that should have made this list trust me it's probably on my list to watch but just haven't gotten to it yet so that's the setup and i hope you enjoy today's list so without further ado let's get started It's another year and another list of my favorite movies. Though 2021 wasn't quite the year many of us expected or wanted, it did feature a brief safe run to theaters, safe return to theaters, and a few cinematic highlights amidst all the real world madness. So with that in mind, here are my 10 favorite movies from the past year. This year, I'm not going to number anything, since quantifying the best movie is always silly to me, and as always, these are a measure of the movies I enjoyed or stuck with me the most, not the best quality. You will note that some of the movies, like No Spider-Man No Way Home, aren't mentioned because, honestly, it didn't seem smart to go into a theater in the greater Cleveland area right now. So, without further ado, the also-rans, and then the best of list. So first up, we have the honorable mentions. There were a lot of movies on the cusp this year that were barely edged out, so I thought I would highlight those. That includes Encanto. It might seem strange that one of the most affecting movies of the year barely leaves a single location, but Encanto's focus on family dynamics and toe-tapping songs makes it work beautifully. Together, together. In one of the most indie premises of all time, we watch as a middle-aged man and his much younger surrogate bond during her pregnancy. Indie setup aside, the film is a remarkably sweet look at platonic love and connection with winning performances from both leads. Tick, tick, boom. I've always felt that Andrew Garfield could crush in a more energetic role that wasn't Spider-Man, and tick, tick, boom proved me right. Garfield is a perfect fit as the late and manic as hell Jonathan Larson as he weaves between his creative ambitions and his personal connections and director Lin-Manuel Miranda demonstrates that he has the visual and cinematic imagination to adapt musicals for the big screen. Pig. While the setup sounds like B-movie glory, Nicolas Cage's pursuit of his beloved truffle pig features one of the actor's best performances ever and a sobering reflection on how grief and trauma can shape us. The Green Knight. Arthurian morality tales get a much-needed update with Dev Patel's Gawain's Pursuit of Glory. The setup is a pure medieval fantasy, but the approach, complete with raw takes on sexuality and destiny, is completely modern. Malignant. James Wan's go-for-broke homage to slashers and jalo flicks is one of the most ridiculously fun things i watched all year, as a woman tries to determine her connection to a series of gruesome murders. It's a movie that shoots the moon in terms of unbelievability for maximum fun. Werewolves Within. Josh Rubin follows up his promising Scare Me with another excellent blend of horror and comedy, as a small mountain town and their park ranger try to figure out whether or not there's a werewolf around and who they can trust. Also, any movie with Sam Richardson and Milana Van Tub in lead roles gets my vote. And finally, on to my 10 favorite. First up, The Harder They Fall. It's hard to quantify the explosion of... 
creative energy in Jamie Samuel's breakout movie. We could point to the cinematography, which is bold, beautiful, and energetic, even if it's just someone walking into frame. There's the cast, which is loaded with black acting talent, be it the charming as hell Jonathan Majors, a commanding Regina King, a stalwart Delroy Lindo, or even the ex unexpected performances from comedic talent like Dion Cole. And we've got the excellent blend of the mythical and historical as our characters, based on real black cowboys, drop casual references to the Dred Scott decision before wreaking havoc in a quote-unquote white town. But that's all underselling how fun it is to watch this stylish-as-hell revenge western play out with all of the violence, humor, and melodrama fans could possibly want. And the soundtrack's pretty banging, too. Nobody. The selling point of this movie is a gag. What if the dude from Mr. Show and Better Call Saul was an unstoppable killing machine? However, like all the best jokes, it's not the setup, it's how you tell it. Instead of being an average man pushed too far, the film pits Bob's Odenkirk's Hutch Manziel as a former killer who reformed to start a family, but can't help himself when he gets a chance to let loose again. It's a hilariously violent midlife crisis as Hutch rekindles his warrior spirit by taking on what feels like the entire Russian mob in a series of no-nonsense brawls and shootouts. Granted, that would all be for naught if Bob Odenkirk didn't deliver, but he absolutely does thanks to a commitment to the stunt work and just enough edge to sell you on who he is and who he used to be, without abandoning his comedic charms. It's a way better remake of Death Wish than any remake of Death Wish could possibly be. The Suicide Squad. I was in on this movie as soon as it was announced. James Gunn with another gang of misfit toys who got shafted the first time around with an R rating to play with signed me the hell up. And sure enough, the movie met my expectations while still offering plenty of surprises. This time, we've got a team led by Idris Elba's Bloodsport who's tasked with taking down an atro atrocious research facility in a Latin American dictatorship. Along the way, we've got plenty of dark laughs and bloody violence blended with pot shots at American foreign policy and just enough heart for a cynical, offbeat movie. Every cast member, even in a glorified cameo, is pitch perfect, and Gunn proves that his affection for offbeat characters extends beyond the MCU. Next up, Candyman. My first reaction to this movie was, wow, Nia DaCosta shot the fuck out of this thing, and that was in the opening credits. My second thoughts were more complex, and honestly, still evolving. But that's the fun and impact of the spiritual sequel to the original film. This time around, we've got an aspiring artist who, who's hit a roadblock and decides that the urban legend known as Candyman is his ticket to success. It's a messy tale that's tackling issues like how black pain is commodified via art, the long-term impact of systemic racism, and how success and ambition can corrupt, all while the bodies keep piling up in a series of bloody and terrifying death scenes with great visual trickery. I cannot wait to see what Nia DaCosta does next. Next up, Dune. Imagine the balls it takes to adapt a famously dense and beloved sci-fi novel into a feature film and only do one half of it. And yet, that's exactly what Denis Villeneuve and company did with their two-and-a-half-hour introduction to Frank Herbert's immense world. A lot of that has to do with the film's incredible production design, which makes Arrakis feel futuristic and old at the same time, or the cinematography that captures the vast emptiness and loneliness of the desert, or the fear the giant sandworms evoke. But in truth, the film's, film's real strength is the dead serious commitment by Villeneuve and every actor to make this barrage of lore, tech, and violence feel as epic and serious as Herbert's novel. 
whether it's bladed combat or familiar chosen one narrative. Can't wait for part two. Next up, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Some movies succeed by filling a void. Some movies succeed by filling that void so well that you want three movies like it. Barb and Star is the latter. The premise is pure absurdity, as the newly unemployed best friends Barb and Star make <laughs> make a visit to the middle-aged haven of Vista Del Mar in Florida, and unintentionally stumble upon a villainous conspiracy to take the entire beach community out. Of course, this is just a very loose setup for a series of over-the-top gags dunked in a colorful beach theme where everything from the background lounge singer to the conversation on an airplane are played for maximum laughs. Kristen Wiig and Annie Mumolo's natural chemistry is palpable, Jamie Dornan gleefully sheds his Christian Grey image, and Josh Greenbaum lets every riff, line, or sight gag play to the rafters. What a fun-ass movie. Next up, Judas and the Black Messiah. If you ever need a cinematic answer to why don't black people trust the police, you can show them this movie. While many may know about the murder of Fred Hampton by police, Shaka King's film adds in important details, like why Hampton was targeted, the pervasive attitudes running the FBI, and how law enforcement will use a movement's own people against it. Even if we know the outcome, the tension is palpable as we watch Lakeith Stanfield, Bill O'Neill, try to provide information and avoid detection. Meanwhile, Daniel Kailua, in an Oscar-winning performance, shows us exactly why Fred Hampton was considered dangerous. It's a beautifully made and infuriating relevant movie. Next up, Bo Burnham, Inside. I had a tough time categorizing this one, but honestly, there's few things that impressed me or gave me as much joy as Burnham's return to comedy, Inside. On the one hand, it's a perfect encapsulation of millennial angst as he riffs on the terrors of the internet, trolls Jeff Bezos, getting older, and openly wonders how important or meaningful his art really is. On the other hand, it's a perfect snapshot of its moment as he sings about FaceTiming his mom like Usher, feeling like garbage after not showering for days, and even how the pandemic affected his career and this special. Combined with a flurry of visual tricks and gags, despite obvious and intentional limitations, and perhaps his catchiest selection of songs to date, it's a truly impressive display of creativity and talent with all of his old self-protective layer of irony removed. It looks like Burnham finally unlocked the key to his best art, sincerity. The Power of the Dog Jane Campion's brutally understated tale of toxic masculinity, repressed emotions, and power struggles is a rough watch, but that only makes it ruinously effective at conveying its message. The story is seemingly simple, as Benedict Cumberbatch's Phil Burbank takes not-so-subtle aim at the psyche of his brother's new wife before warming to her son. But it's the subtle shifts in character, the words left unsaid, and director Jane Campion's lyrical framing that makes this series of small tragedies feel bigger and more heartbreaking. It's a perfect blend of actors, director, and material. And finally, we have The Mitchells vs. The Machines. Yet another animated home run from producers Christopher Miller and Phil Lord. The setup for, for the film is like two films were slammed into each other like action figures. What if we combined a family road trip movie where the daughter is about to go to college with a robotic apocalypse? If Gravity Falls alum Michael Rianda is writing and directing and voice acting, you get a fantastically good time. The film tracks the Mitchell family as they drive their eldest daughter, Katie, to college in an effort to bond before she disappears into her new life. But after an AI decides humanity needs to go, it's up to this band of misfits to save humanity and their relationships before it's too late. 
The film has an amazing number of balls in the air, whether it's the strained relationship between Katie and her dad, an evolving series of goals to save the human race, or even whether or not Katie's brother Aaron will get the courage to hang out with a girl who also likes dinosaurs as much as he does. That gel together so easily into one another and pay off so well and so hilariously that you'll forgive the longer runtime. And a few pot shots at data mining global corporations and villainous AI voiced by Olivia Coleman ain't bad either. So, those are my 10 favorite movies of the year. Let me know if you think I missed any. And as always, thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time, movie friends. This has been Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie World, for the latest reviews, discussions, and more. See you next time, everybody, and stay safe.